Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. B2B marketing agencies. When we first launched Content Monster, we learned that the word agency may not be the best term to label our company with. The fact is we are an agency, but even my own experience in hiring agencies helped me to understand why the word agency has at times gotten a bad rap. The truth is, it isn't the term or the category that a marketing company labels itself. It's more about the quality of work and about the relationships that are, that are built with its client. As someone who has hired many agencies, I can tell you that the transparency into the agency's ability and the honesty in which uh, they can actually provide the, the their services are the keys to good business to agency relationships. Today, we're going to talk about agencies and marketing in general through the lenses of ability and honesty. Joining me on the podcast today is the co-founder of Velocity Partners, a London-based B2B tech marketing agency. He started his career at Ogilvy and Mather in New York before jumping into B2B marketing. And today is a ubiquitous speaker at marketing events, as well as a prolific writer on all things marketing, content, tech, strategy, and creativity. So I'm honored to welcome to the podcast, Doug Kessler. Hey, Doug. Thanks, Lee. Happy to be here. Definitely. Glad you were able to join us today. I know you're calling in or you're, we're connecting from, you're in London, correct? That's right. In London. Where are all you? All right. I'm in Atlanta, Atlanta, wow. Georgia. Neat. Yeah. So even, even more special that you join us today. Um, so Doug, I hear that you are a writer at heart. So how did that spark your journey to where you are today? Yeah, it's weird. I was a copywriter pretty early in my, I started in account work at Ogilvy, but I switched to copy pretty quickly knowing that's where my heart was, loved it, was a freelancer for years, started to realize the briefs I was getting weren't that sharp. And I started challenging the briefs and that made me move upstream into more consulting with clients. And um, and so it, it almost like evolved that way. And it, at some point became time to call it an agency, just like you were just saying, we were reluctant to call it. We, we tried every other word and we just said, you know what? It's a duck. It cracks like a duck. We're an agency, but let's try to be a different kind of agent. Let's try to be a better one, you know, and not make the word, you know, have the connotations that you referred to. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So um, you know, I've been reviewing a lot of your content and speaking of the word content, you, you mentioned that every B2B marketing agency is cramming the word content into everything they do. I'm guilty. The, the name of our company has content in it. <laughs> and I've found that many of these agencies also connect, quote unquote, full service in the phrase as well. And nearly every agency is stronger or came from one form of content over another. So in your opinion, how can a business looking to work with a marketing agency be confident that this agency has roots and deep knowledge in the type of content that they need 
and that they don't get fooled by the whole full service content agency phrase. Yeah, it's a good one, really. I mean, I guess I always look at, you know, is the agency practicing what it preaches? Like, you know, if they believe in content marketing, why aren't they doing it for themselves? If they are, how are they doing it? Like you are constant monster. This is what you do for others. So you're doing it for yourself and you're doing a great job at it. And so people can see, ah, they know what they're doing and they do it well for themselves. So that's a first thing is that I'm always shocked at agencies that don't practice at all what they preach and like, wait a sec, don't you believe in this stuff? So that's it. And, you know, I think what you said about full service is true too. Uh, for me, it can set off alarm bells. Like B2B marketing now encompasses so many different disciplines. It's like, can one agency really be great at, you know, branding and awareness and, you know, demand gen and ABM and performance marketing and all the different flavors, social and programmatic and content and PR. I mean, it's just, it's quite a list and it's really unlikely. Can they do them all? Yeah, maybe, but can they do them well? Kind of unlikely. And so like at Velocity, we unashamedly cherry pick, you know, we say we, we do four things, you know, branding and, you know, positioning is one and, and content marketing and performance marketing and digital, which you could throw into content and call it three things. And it's like, look, we're not going to say we're full. So there's a whole bunch of stuff we're not going to be better than others at. We're, we're, we're not going to claim we are. And the four we pick, we think they're the highest value and also the hardest. So you can charge a premium at them and get good at them. But they're also the ones that belong together. Like each mm. one is way better because the other three, like, you know, our websites are better because we get performance marketing and positioning. And, you know, so each of those is better because of the others. And so it's a natural, these hang together and we think they hang around the same core skills. So, you know, I'm like you, I, I think, you know, the, the full service thing can signal danger, danger. And you want to really look closely and say, really, what, what are you great at? Not just what might you be able to do? Yeah, I think it also comes to, I'm thinking about times when I've been reviewing agencies to work with, you know, those things that they don't put on their front page, but they still are good at, that's important, I think. So for example, with us, we don't advertise that we're an SEO agency. That's not part of what, you know, we don't, we don't claim, I'm sure our first version of our website might've said full service, but after a while we realized that's not the best route to go because we know what we're good at. We know those, right. like you mentioned, those things you pare down to the things you're really good at. Now, do we know SEO? Yes. And we utilize it in terms of how we create content, but we're not going to advertise that we're an SEO agency, not going to be claiming to be the best SEO agency. So I like how you mentioned that you, you pare down, in, in, well, not from our viewpoint, from the buyer's viewpoint, you look at what they do the best, right? And what their cores are. Um, and we're going to get into the honesty part in terms of from an agency being honest about what is it you actually do best. Um, so I want to ask you this, though, before we get too much further into that, um, I had a recent conversation with um, Christopher Penn from Trust Insights. He's brilliant. He's fantastic. He is so brilliant. And, you know, our, our podcast started out with saying we're going to go all over the place because I had so many questions I wanted to ask him. Um, such a brilliant mind. So yeah. he, we, we kind of got on a tangent about AI and didn't expect it, but we were talking about, you know, how AI is catching up to the ability to create really quality written content. And, you know, we, we've, and I'm sure you've seen the progression from where it was just poorly spun, jumbled up words, but we're getting to the point, and Chris pointed out that he's seen some things written better than he could write that were done by AI and pointed out how good AI is really getting. So what are your thoughts on that? What, where is AI in, in the content creation process? And is it good, bad? What do you think? 
Well, you know, part of me is terrified, the creative part. And part of me is like, all right, you know, there's AI is already in the process somewhere. Like, you know, content intelligence and analytics can help surface the topics that are right and to show you what's working. So it's clearly it's already in our world and helping. Um, for the actual writing, you know, it's tempting to say won't happen, won't happen. You know, our, you know, creative snowflakes won't, won't ever. Because you're a writer. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, you know, in the <laughs> beginning, I did think that, that, and, and it may be true that we will be later in the list of jobs that'll be replaced by robots and, or largely kind of done later, but that don't, don't be so, you know, you know, proud to feel like we could never, be replaced. I mean, a lot of sports reporting, a lot of financial reporting is already being generated by AI and doing a good job. There's like, there are companies doing like email subject line generation and testing at scale and it's all AI and, you know, it's coming out with things that perform better than some of the creative things. So, you know, scares me. I don't think for a minute we're immune. I'm hoping that it, that it gets good at a certain part that freeze creative people to even be better at the things that mm. we're really great at inspiration and you know the poetry of it all the beauty of it all but that could be wrong too you know maybe we're just all yeah. going to be replaced well you know as, as chris was saying that the tide is rising so maybe it's not a matter of if it'll be some flash moment and writers are replaced i think it's a matter of what is your level of quality of writing and for those who are spinning articles using ai or just aren't good writers they may have already be underwater by AI. You know, if you have full access to AI, you probably can create something better than a novice writer or, or, or a bad writer could do. So it's just a matter of uh, up on your skills to stay ahead of the robots. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. And there's a company I really admire called Acrolinks, which does AI, and it helps writers raise their game. And when I was really skeptical, they actually had me over to Berlin to say, look at this, look how it works. And I really was impressed. And they, one of the things like, they said, look, there are a whole bunch of documents being written out there, content being written by non-English speaking as first language. So, And it's like technical documentation and stuff like that. And if you can put it through some good AI, you can raise it to, hey, readability and um, mm. clarity and stuff like that. So, you know, that part I thought, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As far as, you know, my most creative writing, would, what would the AI help with? Today, maybe not much, but I could see how actually for a whole bunch of writing, it can just catch some things and lift it up. So, you know, I'm not, I'm thinking of it as a net positive, but I could be wrong. We could actually, you know, we could be out of work. Yeah, it's coming. I mean, it's, like you said, it's a matter of when, when the tide will catch up with you. And that's, that's across the board. I mean, I talk to also salespeople and the same thing goes for them. You know, our conversation with Chris started with, you know, doing what they call administrative tasks in sales. And his response was, well, if you don't want to do the administrative tasks, there's a robot that'll do it for you. Um, and that's when I ask him, what about creative things? And uh, so, yeah, we know where we are. The tide's rising and the better people will stay above the curve, I suppose. Yeah, there was a symphony written by a bot recently that really <laughs> fooled people, you know. And so it's like, all right, you know, we got to start getting off our high horse and, you know, getting real about this. So I want to dig into some of your content. Um, I was watching a few of your, video, your videos yesterday and had me thinking. Um, so I talk a lot about and I consult on marketing automation. And I noticed yesterday that when I look for content on marketing automation, there's a very high chance that the best search results will come from HubSpot. Mm. And you know, this company not only built a customer base for its product from its content, myself as a customer included, 
they're also known simply for their content. And I believe you call this a great content brand, right? That's right. So tell me more about your thoughts on, on the definition of a great content brand and how it comes about. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good question because everyone thinks about what's a great brand, you know, that people see the logo and hear about it and they just assume it's going to be high quality. It's going to be maybe they're, you know, entertaining or, you know, it's going to be a great experience that these people care about this product. And so the, the product experience, the brand experience is going to be positive. And then the same ones can often not think the same way in, in B2B about, about their content brand. It's like you want it so that if it has your logo on it as content, people are going to think, you know, it's going to be smart. It's going to be relevant. It's going to be helpful. It's going to be well-crafted, entertaining, honest, you know, all, any or all of those things to be famous for. And HubSpot is great at that. They have a great content brand. They're famously generous with their content as far as sharing expertise, helping people out, being this slavish focus on customers or prospects, you know, how can we help them? And they do it so well and so consistently that they've got a great content brand. Once you've got that, if you don't have it, you're pushing, pushing, pushing people to please take this ebook, please look at this video. You know, if you have it, they're coming to you for that, you know, and so you got to work hard to uphold it. But wow, what a great thing to have. And I'm surprised more brands don't want to be great content brands, too, and take it just as seriously as, as the main brand. As opposed to regards to your content brand, I noticed you do a lot of slide shares and I like that. And I was, I was actually looking for more of them as I saw more. I was like, let me find some more of these because I like how you present your content in that aspect. Um, in one of those slide shares, you gave six principles of great content brands. So I won't ask you to recite all of them, but can you give us a, a few mentions of some of those principles of a great content brand? Sure. And, you know, I loved SlideShare when it was new and it was like people were just using it to dump their slides from presentations. And we thought this is actually a medium. Click, click, click. You know, let's do linear stories. You know, let's let's use this. And we still do it. We do them now in a thing we call strings, which we invented. It's like SlideShare on steroids that you do on your Web page. You don't have to go to SlideShare to do it. Same idea, though, these linear stories. And so for great content brand, you know, one of them is be the buyer, you know, empathy, like start there. Like so many people start with, what do we want to tell? What do we want to tell? What do we want to tell? HubSpot starts with, what do they need to know? What do they need to know? What do they... That changes the whole world right there. Mm. And if there was nothing else to take away, that's the one, you know, be the buyer, start from there. You know, I like one of them was be authoritative. And that's all about your sweet spot. You know, you talk about authority with Constant Monster and how content can do that, which I think you guys do really well. I think, you know, finding your sweet spot, you know, what is it that people care about, but also you have some authority on it. Like you really can help there. This is your thing. They want to know from you about this topic. And so staying close to your sweet spot or in your sweet spot helps there. I think one was about being passionate, like just caring about this stuff, which shockingly, I think kills so much content where actually it's like, guys, there's no joy here at all. You're, you're painting by numbers. And there was... The last one was about being honest with yourself. Like, are you bullshitting people or are you just going through the motions? And is this good enough? And is this helpful or new or fresh? And people are nice to each other in a team. So you don't want to be as brutal as you need to be. And I think some honesty there of saying, you know what? This is just another one of these things, not a great one. Why don't we hold and make it better? I'm glad you mentioned honesty. That's a great pivot because 
I want to ask you about, and speaking of HubSpot, um, I saw your presentation from a few years back at Inbound from HubSpot. And the presentation was about insane honesty in content marketing. And you gave an example of a business that was extremely honest on what they could and couldn't do for you. And when it comes to marketing agencies, as we said earlier, um, you know, I've been on both sides of the fence. I've worked in organizations where I've hired organizations around, hired agencies around the world, and I've also operated an agency. And what I see too often is, you know, as we mentioned earlier, agencies want to sell services that they don't actually have as their true strength, and they might be stretching to even deliver it. So on the basis of honesty, what do you think that companies should do to avoid hiring agencies who aren't insanely honest? Yeah, it's a good one, really. I mean, I would hope, you know, every good agency would, would what one of the things that an agency helps you do is find your ideal prospects as a brand and sell to them, focus on them. Don't just be all things to all people. And so, you know, an ideal prospects is they're most likely to buy from you and they're most likely to be happy that they did, right? And so, you know, old marketing doesn't care about that. Markets to everybody and just tries to, you know, bluff it. And new marketing, it's the most important thing. So I guess you look at the agency. Is is it clear who their ideal prospects are? Um, and are they laser focused on their own ideal prospects, which means they're not trying to be all things to all people. Like on your site, you can tell this is what we're going for. This is what we do best. And this is who we want to do it for. And, you know, it's really clear. And I think that helps you feel like, wait a sec, that, you know, um, you know, you're looking at the agency, are they clear about their own ideal prospects and being honest about that? Um, there is, you know, insane honesty is a little different in that it's, it's a specific tactic that says, take your weakest point and put it out front in your marketing, like lead with your weakness. Like a famous one is VW Beetle, which was ugly at the time. And they didn't say, great at fuel efficiency and, you know, just ignore it. They're like ugly. Their headline was ugly. It, we it, know it's it, ugly. It's just fantastic. And so that's kind of an insane level of honesty. But I think agencies can do that. You know, it's like tell people who you're not for, you know, don't just tell everyone who you're for. Be it, be open about it. I think that also kind of disarms anyone from being able to pick at your, your negatives. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's like admit it. It's like this is where we put our priorities. Like that isn't one of ours. If that's super important to you, we're not the ones for you. And it's isn't that better? I mean, relationship. This is a relationship business. Like you use that word about agencies. This is not a transaction. You're not going to win if you attract them in with some honey that you can't deliver on. Right? You will lose, and you'll hurt your reputation, and you'll grind down your people. The whole thing will be no fun. And so when you realize like a good relationship is the whole thing, well, why would you want to? trick someone into a good relationship. Like, so I really like, you know, going ahead and saying, this is what we're good at. This is what we're not good at. If we're not for you, that's cool. You'll find somebody out there, you know? Yeah. That's, that's an answer I wanted to ask about too. You know, what can us as agencies do? Um, I guess it's starting with that, that honesty about what we do and what we don't do and getting that out there in the front. Yeah. And who you're for and who you're not for. And for us, like, it's quite obvious we're, you know, velocities B2B and tech, um, and a certain, you know, I think we do our best with some challengers who want to shake things up. We have had more incumbents who are defending and that can be fun too, but we're really better at the challenger end of the scale. And we also have a psychographic in mind. Like it's, so we, we're looking for confident, ambitious marketers with a bit of power in their own company to do some great things, you know, ambition. They want to do great things. And so we're 
almost um, like like intentionally alienating the timid, <laughs> like the real corporate types who just want mm. safe. They want marketing that looks like marketing. They're not going to like us. We're not going to like them. So we use our marketing as a filter, not just a magnet. It's like if you don't like us and our site and our content, you won't like working with us. If you do, we got a great chance of having a great relationship. And so I think more agencies should think of their own marketing as a filter not just a magnet. It's like, who are you going to love working with? You know, we think about this virtuous cycle. Great people make great work for great clients. And it goes like that. Like, But if you break any of those, like get the wrong client, you're not going to do good work. You can't keep good people. It The cycle just spins down, right? So for us, it's that match of agency to client is so hugely important that you don't, you don't just want everybody who stumbles over the threshold, right? Well, I know you do some consulting directly to businesses. And so I'm, I'm wondering on this idea of honesty, um, you know, and pointing out your flaws, it, you know, it's, it's effortless to ignore flaws for a business. Um, and no one is tasked with talking about your flaws or limitations, unless it's some kind of a, a campaign like, like Volkswagen. Um, when it comes to creating honest marketing, what do you say to organizations who have no interest in saying anything besides our product is the best? Because I mean, why even address the flaws if our customers can do that? How would you yeah. consult on that? No, it's, I mean, you get that objection a lot, really. And it's, it is kind of old school B2B marketing. You know, you're, it's like the boor at the party who just goes up and shouts the, you know, his, his own braggy stuff in your face all day. And that's what market, old marketing is. Like, just get your USPs and shout it in as many faces as possible. And ultimately, you know, you'll get there. And it's just, who wants to be that brand? And Part of this is we call it Kool-Aid. We have another piece, very slideshow-like, a string piece on Kool-Aid coming out. Drinking the Kool-Aid is believing that what you would love to be true is true. <laughs> and it isn't. Like so many corporations, you look at their, we're great at this, we're this, we're leading at that. It's like, you're not, you're not, you're not. And if you keep drinking the Kool-Aid, you're not going to convince anybody else. So you got to get off it yourself, come to what you're real. And of course, you're going to be great at something. So, you know, yeah, you're going to push those. but I just think Kool-Aid cultures uh, aren't great at marketing. Humble cultures are hu cultures that love to learn and listen and find out. And that's one of the HubSpot things. You know, it's a great, great culture built on kind of humility and listening. And that's why they're great. Not just, you know, fill up this pro forma message framework and then just go shove it in people's faces. You know, sometimes it's tension with the sales team who thinks that's what marketing should be doing for them. And they think, you know, I'm being all snowflakey by saying it's not that way. But I actually think I'm more hard-nosed than them. Uh, what I'm talking about works, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> whereas shouting your benefits and ignoring your downsides at everybody that moves doesn't work. And, you know, it, it feels hard sell and old school, but it doesn't work, you know. Maybe, maybe today's consumer has changed to the point where they expect some flaws. And if you appear to be, if you claim to be flawless, then that is a flaw. That's a really good point. I think that's great. And I think, you know, a bit of vulnerability out there and honesty is disarming. You know, it's like, it's charming. People are like, oh, wow, someone who isn't going to lie to me, they're going to, they're going to tell it like it is and be okay and honest. And that who wouldn't want to work with that kind of brand, you know? Sounds good. Well, speaking of working with, I have no problem, you know, talking about Velocity Partners. So tell us about Velocity Partners real quick and how we can contact you. Okay, we're at velocitypartners.com. Thanks for giving me that opportunity. Um, come along, check out the blog. We try to stir things up in the blog and not do the average thing. 
And we have a newsletter. You can sign up. We won't spam you. It's like once a month. I'm on um, at Doug Kessler on Twitter and we're at Velocity Tweets as well. Uh, LinkedIn might even be better because I'm finding a lot more engagement on LinkedIn. I don't know about you, but the Twitter, I'm not getting a lot of engagement. And yeah, I mean, I, I, Content Monster was built off of LinkedIn. I'll tell you that right now. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm definitely finding it. I used to get like a lot more engagement on Twitter and I'm moving more of my mojo to LinkedIn little by little because <laughs> people respond and you get conversations going, you know, and so I like it there. All right. Well, again, Doug, thank you for joining. I really appreciate it. It's, it's good to talk with another agency and just have agencies shop talk and even provide the businesses who hire agencies some insights and some things that they should be thinking about when working with uh, agencies. And um, thanks for the listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and want, want to also see Doug and I, video of this podcast and others will be available on the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Again, thanks, Doug. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.